It is good to be with you this evening. We do appreciate the opportunity to be here, and that's my most talented half right there, so I don't know if I have a whole lot to do now. Uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to preach, and I was figuring out it's been about, well, I guess four years since I was here last when I got to come with a group from Heartland during the summer after 9-11, and we got to pass out about 23,000 tracks in the subways, and it was an amazing time. I enjoyed the time then, and all the Montoro kids are bigger than that they were then, and Life goes on. It's good to see some familiar faces, too. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. If you have your Bible this evening, please turn to Mark chapter 5. Familiar passage to some of you, I'm sure. just want to read this passage and make some application about missions, and we will be done. But appreciate the opportunity to preach, and looking forward to it. Gospel of Mark in chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 20 verses of this chapter. It's about the story of the maniac of Gadara. And uh, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word this evening, we'll read the first 20 verses of Mark in chapter number 5. And they came over onto the other side of the sea, under the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. 
And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil that had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the safety you've given us to be here. And we just pray that you'd bless the time in your word this evening. You'd encourage these people about missions, about the need to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I pray that you'd do that this evening. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives and that he would, he would draw us to decisions we may need to make for you. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here tonight that is unsaved, that they may come forward this evening and accept Christ as our personal Savior. Lord, we do just thank you again for the precious gift of salvation that we have only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And we pray that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Kind of have to put yourself in the position of one of the disciples to really understand and get the, a glimpse of this story. But it's an amazing story that we have in front of us this evening. If you were one of Jesus' disciples, right before this happens, you've just witnessed Jesus say, Peace be still, and the winds and waves obey. And you've just, you've got to be thinking, Man, there's something cool going to happen on the other side of the sea. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe multitudes are going to flock to Jesus, and they're going to hear Him preach, and they're going to have multitudes saved. Maybe they'll bring lots of sick people to Jesus, and He'll just heal them all, all right before their eyes. And if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're thinking, Something great is going to happen on the other side of the sea. And they land, and the first thing they meet is a demon-possessed man. Probably not what they were expecting. This guy isn't just, you know, mentally ill, a little unstable. He's a demon-possessed man. He is possessed with many devils. We see the condition of, the man in, of this man in the first few verses of chapter 5. They land in Gadara, which is one of the cities of Decapolis. Decapolis was a federation of ten cities. Damascus was its capital. This demon-possessed man runs out. He's not mentally ill. He's not suffering from self-induced paranoia. He is possessed with the devil, the Bible says. We see that all they had tried up to this time was didn't help this man. 
No man could help this man. They tried chains. They tried fetters. They didn't have mental hospitals with padded rooms and straitjackets. They just did their best to keep this guy away from people. But the Bible says the cause was hopeless, that no man could tame him. What a sad commentary on the life of this poor individual. We also see he has self-destructive tendencies in verse 5, that he's in the mountains and in the tombs, cutting himself with stones. What a sad commentary on the life of this poor individual. We also see Jesus in verse 9, he says, what is his name? And he says his name is Legion. Back then, Legion was 6,000 Roman troops. This guy had quite a lot of problems, you may see. We see Jesus commands in verse 13 for the demons to out of him. And whether he wants them just out of the man or out of the man into the pigs seems to make very little difference. But mark it down in your Bible. This is the first biblical case of deviled ham or pigs that ever went hog wild. That's an important footnote you need to make in your Bible there. You say satanic sows, bah, that'd never happen, or possessed pigs, whatever, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, if Satan was in the serpent in the Garden of Eden, then demon-possessed pigs is no far stretch for the Lord, for sure. Then we see in verse 14, the, the response of the, the town to this miracle that is done. And you have to use your imagination here, but you have to see how this story was repeated. These swine owners, they... The guys that are keeping the swine, they run back in the town. They just say, all our pigs are gone. All 2,000 of them ran down this hill, speaking in tongues, all craziness, and they just drown. All our pigs are gone. Oh, yeah, that guy who's possessed with the legion of devils, yeah, he's, he's normal now, but all our pigs are gone. All they really care about is that 2,000 pigs. And if you read your Bible, you have to be thinking, there's something a little strange about Jewish swine owners. You know... That just doesn't go together. And we know that Jesus in his earthly ministry was primarily working with the Jews. And the, the Bible says in Leviticus 11, it says in the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean to you. They say this region was mainly of Greeks and Gentiles, therefore they had the swine. Or it could have just been a Jewish person that didn't really have any regard for God's law. But you see this amazing miracle take place in verse 15. And the result is this maniac is now sitting and clothed and in his right mind. What an amazing miracle Jesus has worked in the life of this individual. But then you see a very strange response in verse 17. And they, the town, began to pray him, Jesus, to depart out of their coasts. What a sad, sad request of this town. You'll, you can read your Bible, you'll never see another miracle of Jesus Christ with such a negative response as this one. We know the Lord never forces himself on anyone. See the next verse, he's entering back into his ship and ready to leave. When our unthankfulness grows weary of Christ, who can, who can pity us when we are deprived of his presence? We see in verse 18, the, the man requests that he could be with Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 19, he says, hey... Go home to thy friends and tell him how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Then we see the will of Jesus Christ accomplished. This man does exactly what Jesus says. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. This madman turned a missionary in his own area. That's what I want to get you to understand tonight. That God took this man and if he can take a maniac... A guy that was possessed with a legion of the devils, the Bible says, and make him into a missionary, God can use you. That's what I want you to understand this evening. How does this apply to us? First of all, we see in this text, the condition of the maniac before Jesus shows up is just as lost and hopeless as the lost person out on the street that you see today. 
just as lost and hopeless as the people in Nauru, who are very religious people. Uh, Brother Danio over there has started the first independent Baptist church on Nauru. He got saved in Fiji under the work of a missionary there, and he started the first independent Baptist church. He's the first independent Baptist preacher the country's ever seen. You think your dad would be proud of that, but his dad is such a diehard Catholic that he won't even speak to his son because he's bound in his religious chains. Some people think, oh, heathen religions, yeah, they're okay for them, but I just want to be a Christian and live a Christian life. But heathen religions, yeah, they're all right. Let me remind you, the Bible says the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. What does that mean? That means in Africa, a baby dies, and the witch doctor decides who's responsible for the death of this child. So he'll make an accusation. This lady has to prove her innocence. She'll start climbing the tallest tree in the village until she gets to the highest branch it will hold a weight from which she'll throw herself from this tree. She'll land on the ground and be killed instantly. Most of the bones in her body will be broken and out of joint. Why would she do that to herself? Because of her religion. She has to prove her innocence. And obviously she was guilty because she died from the fall. Had she been innocent, she would have survived in her religion. In Australia, a baby might be born amongst the Aboriginal people and someone in the village may die at the same time. The witch doctor there will decide that the, this innocent child that is just born is responsible for the death of this individual. He'll go to the child and he'll snatch the newborn baby out of the mother's arms and lay this child on, the, on its back in the hot sand. He'll open the child's mouth and start pouring in sand into this child's mouth. He'll do this until a child suffocates and dies. Why would someone do that to this child, an innocent child? A human sacrifice must be made according to their religion. In the South Sea Islands, a man will die. Soon after that, his wife will be strangled to death alive so that she can accompany him on his journey in the afterlife. To make the situation worse, if you're the oldest son in that family, you get to strangle your own mother to death. And even some of you younger brothers and sisters that can't take care of themselves. So this whole family goes off on their journey into the afterlife together because of their religion. In India, a wife will be burned to death with her already dead husband so that she gets to accompany him on his journey in the afterlife. The village will hear her shrieks and wails as she's burned alive. And they'll feel that they've pacified the evil spirits and done what the, what the spirits would have them to do. Mohammedism, a man will hack his own head with a large blade until blood just gushes forth out of these open wounds. He'll then take paper and roll it up and stick it in these open wounds and light the paper. He'll usually do this in a public, public's place and there he'll stand in front of people, a burning, bleeding mess. Why? Because of his religion. He does this because in his religion he has to afflict himself in order to attain his version of heaven. In Asia, a little, a little girl will have her front teeth sawn off at the gums so she can be acceptable according to her religion. These heathen religions have no peace, no joy, no contentment, no loving or sacrificial savior. They live a life of fear and dread, a constant appeasing of evil spirits is their life. What do these people have to do with you? What do these people have to do with me? Well, just imagine for a moment you weren't born in an area where there's a Bible Baptist church preaching the Word. How would you ever hear of Jesus Christ? 
if someone didn't come and tell you? Well, you know, just before even one can come and tell you about Jesus Christ, many must give. So if you're in that situation, just picture yourself in one of these scenarios. Wouldn't you want someone to be a liberal giver so that someone can come eventually, come and tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ? Of course you would. We need to be merciful in our giving, just as God was merciful in the giving of His own Son. You know, this task that we have of reaching the world and reaching these people and these heathen religions, it's not a task where man can help. It's just like our story that no man can help. They tried all they could, but God can help. Just like the situation in Nauru, quite a pathetic condition, but I believe God can help Nauru. And you know, there's still many nations in this world that have never even once heard the gospel. Many nations that don't even know who Jesus Christ is, who have never even seen a Bible in their life. We spend about 0.2% of our missions budget on reaching unreached countries. That means 99.8% of our missions is spent on reaching reached people. About 85% of independent Baptist missionaries are in about 15 different countries. The Great Commission, the Bible says we're going to all nations. That word nations in the Bible is ethnic or people groups. That means we're not just going into countries, we're going to, into people groups within countries. That means we have 250 nations and 24,000 different ethnic groups that need a missionary according to the Bible. Let me remind you of a region of the world called the 1040 window. It goes from West Africa through the Sea of Japan from 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north. It's about an, an area of the world where about 60% of the world's population lives. That's, two, uh, that's about 3 or 4 billion people living in this one square of the world. 69 countries are in that area and about 55 of those countries are considered the least evangelized in this world. This is a sheet I got when I was in Bible college that helps pray for these countries. These countries have millions and billions of people, some of them, and most of them have never heard of Jesus Christ. Most of them don't want missionaries. They're bound in religious chains of Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam, Shintoism, Confucianism, just all these false religions. And the reason they don't have missionaries is not because God doesn't want to see these people saved. We know that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the reason these countries remain unevangelized is because we've never prayed. We've never asked God to send forth laborers into His harvest fields in these areas of the world. Just to make the situation worse, about half our independent Baptist missionaries that we send to the field will return home after the first four years never to go back. We have a great task if we're going to reach the world for Christ. If you'd like one of these, see me after and we'll, you can help pray for these countries. We, in this text, we also see two views of missions. You know, if, you, if you're a good missions giver and you tell someone how much you give to missions, just you know, asking them maybe how much they give, most people look at you, look at you kind of funny if you, you give money for people around the world who you'll never see for salvation of their soul. They just don't really understand that. Because the world's view of missions is just a waste of money. They're selfish people. They want to consume all they can upon themselves. These are the kind of people that put pigs over people. They put pork over professions, swine over sinners, sows over souls, spam over salvation, bacon before the Bible, ribs before righteousness, rinds over religion, and ham over hell. These are the people that really don't care about the worth of a human soul, whether in New York City or somewhere around the world. If you ever notice, you can turn on the TV and see all kinds of shows about animal cops. 
People go around busting people for how they treat their animals. I'm not for animal mistreatment. But you don't turn on the TV and see abortion cops. You don't see people trying to encourage people to value the life of that unborn human being in their soul. You don't see people caring too much about animals, about the worth of souls. You, you can go to stores and you can look at different products and they have a little symbol on there that says, we didn't test this product on animals. We didn't hurt any animals in testing this product. But you don't seem to care too many people about what they do with the unborn human soul. Oh, stem cell research, oh, that's okay. Yeah, it, it's not really a human being until it's born. That's how they care. They care more about animals than they do about souls. That's the world's view of missions. Jesus' view of missions is quite different. According to Jesus, every soul in this world is just worth more than all the pigs in the world that you can muster. Just as Jesus got rid of the pigs in this town, maybe he needs to get rid of some of the pigs in our lives so that we can view his priorities a little more clear. You know, the priority of missions is not to preach sociology, but salvation. Not reform, but redemption. Not culture, but conversion. Not progress, but pardon. Not a new social order, but a new birth. Not renovation, but regeneration. Not resuscitation, but a new creation. Not democracy, but the gospel. Not civilization, but Christ. We are ambassadors for the Lord, not diplomats. Ever occur to you that the first missionary to the capitalists and the first missionary in the New Testament save our Lord Jesus Christ was a former maniac? And you have seen plenty of missionaries come through, I'm sure, and seen different presentations about where people are going to different parts of the world. Maybe you saw our presentation in hour, you thought, there is no way you're going to get me on an eight-square-mile island out in the middle of nowhere. If you are, that's fine. Just be honest. One time, when I was in Bible college, a missionary came by, and there were missionaries to Siberia. Siberia, Russia. Like, where the summer is still below freezing. You know how little part of me wants to go to Siberia, Russia? I'll be real honest with you. Very little of me would ever want to go there. I just hate the cold. I, I'd take 100 degrees before I'd take freezing. And I think of these, of these missionaries in Siberia, Russia, I think, are they all there? Does their lift go to the top floor? Is there too many kangaroos in the top paddock? Is there something wrong with these people? But then I think, according to our text, they're in pretty good company. This man who is a maniac, God makes into a missionary, that means God can use you. It means God can use me, and I don't profess to be anything special. You know, you don't even have to have a weird and wild testimony like this guy. You don't even have to be possessed with legions of devils to be used in God's service. We just have to be obedient to his will. You also see in this passage that this missionary did his job. Jesus returns later in Mark chapter 7. He returns to the capitalists. He heals the deaf and dumb. He teaches three days. He feeds 4,000 men with just a few loaves. It's quite a different story to, have, to the first arrival. I think because the, this missionary, this missionary did his job, did exactly what God wanted him to do. These people were excited about the return of the Lord. You know, we have just the same mission as our maniac, just to go and tell what great things God has done for you and had compassion upon you. When was the last time you told someone? Are you doing your job as a Christian? You know, all Christians will be soul winners. It's not just the preacher's job or the youth director's job, the missionary's job. Every Christian is to be a soul winner. Just where is up to God. We also see in this passage that everyone has their price. This town, by their reaction to this miracle that Jesus did in the life of this maniac, 
shows that the price of 2,000 pigs for the miracle of this maniac was just too much. They just weren't willing to pay 2,000 pigs for this kind of miracle. As a supermodel, her name is Lisa Evangelista. She said, I don't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I could have that kind of pay rate. But right there, she said, hey, my price is $10,000 a day, or I don't even hit the, stop hitting the snooze button. Let's have an attitude t- towards money checkup. We'll just see if God's really got all of us, or if maybe we have some things to deal with about our attitude towards money. What would you do for money that you wouldn't do for the Lord? Why would you do something for money, but you wouldn't do it for God? Well, what are you talking about? Well, could I buy your obedience to God with money? Say you know someone, I'm sure you do, who's either unsaved or needs to be in church. If I gave you $20 per attempted visit for this person, could I come back in a week and you'd be saying, seven days, buddy, I was there every day. 140 bucks, cough up, come on. Why would you do something like that for money, but you wouldn't do it for the Lord? What if I gave you $50 just to walk up to someone you don't even know? Maybe someone you do know and say, if you were to die today, would you be 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? Just to walk up and ask them that simple question. Would you do it for $50? Of course I would. Why would you do it for money, but you wouldn't do it for the Lord? If I gave you $200 on the condition that you'd give $100 of that back to missions. Sure, you'd have to tithe on it too. I'll give you that. If I gave you $200 on the condition you'd give $100 of it back to missions, would you do it? Most of you are thinking in your head right now, of course I'd do it. I'd be 100 bucks in the clear. Hello? You know what the Bible says? Give, and it shall be given unto you. If I gave you $70, would you read one chapter of your Bible every day this week? If I gave you $140, would you pray for 10 or 15 minutes for your missionaries or for some work going on at the church? If I gave you $250 a week, would you sing a special or sing in the choir or do something for the Lord with your talents that God has given you? If I gave you $500 a week, would you teach a Sunday school class? $500 a week, I'd put up with any kind of brat. If that's what you're thinking, why would you do something for money but you wouldn't do it for the Lord? If I gave you $1,000 a week, would you start a bus route or a van route? If I gave you forty dollars or $50,000 a year, would you be a missionary? Forty dollars or $50,000? I'd just go wherever you want in the world. Why would you do that for money, but you wouldn't do that for the Lord? Say you're doing some of these activities, and I hope you are. Would you be happier doing these activities if I paid you? Or just if you did them out of obedience to the Lord and what He wants you to do? How much time do you spend pursuing money? How much time do you spend pursuing God? What are you saying? I need to go to work for eight hours and come home and read and pray for eight hours? Well, no. But you could just know that what you're doing at work or whatever the God wants you to do is serving the Lord, what He wants you to do. Say, Brother Montoro, mention something around here that needs to be done. Is your first thought about what needs to be done, how much is that going to cost? Or is it, how is that going to help our church? How is that going to be, what does God think about that? Is that going to be a help to our ministry? You know, without giving, the gospel just ceases to go out. That's just the way it is. If you didn't give, 
tithe and missions. Probably wouldn't have air conditioners running. Probably wouldn't have a lot of things around here if we just ceased to give. So what's your attitude towards missions? Do you view it like the world does? It's just a waste of money. Do you view it like Jesus, that every soul in this world is worth more than all the money in the world? What does your current missions giving indicate about your burden for the unreached millions in this world? What are you going to personally do to reach the unreached? What are you going to do about these billions of souls? You, personally, what will you do? We pray for laborers to go there. Pray for the Lord to open these fields. The lost person you know, the workmate, the family, the friend that you have that's unsaved, do you see him just as lost and hopeless as our maniac before Jesus shows up? What a pathetic commentary is on this man. But you know, it's just as pathetic as that lost person you know. They're just as lost and hopeless as this man. Are you doing your job as a Christian? Are you being a soul winner? When was the last time you witnessed to someone, gave someone a track, invited them to church? When was the last time you thought about the great things that God has done for you and had compassion upon you? When was the last time you just said to the Lord, Lord, thank you for my salvation? Thank you for that person you brought my way that witnessed to me, that invited me to church, that led me to Christ. Thank you for that person that cared about my soul. Are you inquiring about God's will for your life? Maybe you're here and you've never just said, Lord, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to do it. I've got my life planned out. I wanted to go to this college. I want to marry this person. I have this many kids and this white picket fence and this house and this dog and this many fish. But you've never asked God what He wants for your life. Why don't you ask God what He wants? Why don't you run your plans by God and see if that's what He has for you? Maybe you're here and you think, this maniac... He had it easy compared to my life. I don't know the backgrounds of everyone in here. I don't know what God has taken you out of. But maybe you're, you're just like this maniac and think, God can't help me. I've got too many problems for God to help. Just imagine this story. If Jesus would start counting out these demons and he gets to 2,000, he says, sorry, my limit's 1,999 demons. I just can't cast out anymore. You've just got too many problems for me to deal with. Wouldn't that be a pathetic picture from what we know of the the ministry and life of Christ. It's just kind of how it might be if you view that you're just too big a mess for Jesus to straighten you out, for God to work in your life. It's just, you've just got too many problems. If God can take a maniac and make him into a missionary, God can use you. If you had been to heathen lands where weary souls stretched out to plead, yet no one understands, would you go back? Would you? If you had seen the women bear their heavy loads with none to share and heard them weep with none to care, would you go back? Would you? If you had seen them in despair and beat their breasts and pull their hair while demon powers filled the air, would you go back? Would you? If you had seen the glorious sight when heathen people in their night were brought from darkness into light, would you go back? Would you? Yet still they wait a weary throne. They've waited some so very long. When shall despair be turned to song? We're going back. Would you? If you'd bow your head this evening and close your eyes. If the Lord has spoken to your heart about something this evening, maybe it's something I didn't even mention, but the Lord has, Holy Spirit's been working in your life and you've been struggling in this area or He's drawing you to a decision in this way. I pray you'd come forward this evening and do whatever God would have you to do. Maybe you're here this evening and you're just like our maniac in his lost condition before Jesus shows up. You've never, maybe here this evening, you've never repented of your sin 
and trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If that's you this evening, you've never trusted Christ, if that's you, if you just raise your hand this evening, I'll remember you in the closing prayer. Never trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. Maybe you're here and you've never really seen the lost in that condition. Never seen these heathen people in such a pathetic state. What will you do about it? What does your current missions giving indicate about your burden for the lost? Have you ever surrendered your life to the Lord? Just said, God, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to do it. I don't even know what that might be, but Lord, I want to be on your path. Maybe you need to do that this evening. Lord, we just thank you again for this time. I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Lord, if there's people here that need to make decisions for you, I pray that they would obey your spirit this evening and come forward and make those decisions. Lord, I, I pray that you continue to encourage these people about missions, about the need to reach the lost and be soul winners here, even in their own community. Lord, we thank you again for this time. I ask you to bless this invitation according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.